0: Hi, my name is Carolyn Neillachlan, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Ancestors Alive from Paper to People. Eventually, I'm going to have like a smooth, cool, and groovy lead-in with music and everything like that, but I'm going low-tech for starters. We're gonna start it off just to start it off, just so that I can get this done for the first uh, first of the year. I've been thinking about doing this for some months now, but hadn't quite gotten it together and uh, I wanted to be sure that when I came to the microphone and started talking that I actually had something to say and something to tell you and teach you and and, um, that I was coming from a position of strength and I think I'm there now. So here we sit on New Year's Day and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what it is that I'm thinking and about a fun discovery that I made recently. First off, I want you to understand who I am. Um, I started doing genealogical research when I was about 15 years old. And um, my uncle had done some work on the paternal line, So, which is always what happens, paternalistic society, paternal line. And um, he gave it to me. He basically gave me a stack of papers and he said, you know, I'm done. This is yours now. And I was already a geek. And I'm, I'm talking capital G, capital E, another capital E, and then a capital K. I'm always a geek, once and always a geek. And I really wanted to get into this work. He lived in Texas. I lived in New York. And he had to hand off that paper in order for me to do it because we're talking about pre-computer days because, yes, children – there was a time when there were no computers. There were no PCs. There were no laptops. There were no cell phones and everything had to be done in person. And so I started with in-person research. And then as things developed with computers, I started using family tree maker and personal ancestry file. And then of course, ancestry family search and those kinds of things. Um, I am a convert, an adult convert to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I am a Mormon. That's right. I am a Mormon. Um, I have only been LDS for about nine years now. Um, so obviously my interest in the work and the work that I've done uh, has vastly outstripped my membership and time. Um, it was more like it was a good fit when I did join the church because I'd been doing this work for so much time already. Um I have a tree in Ancestry. It has an embarrassingly large number of people in it, although I have to say there is a tree out there that I've seen that has twice as many names as mine. Mine has almost 23,000 names in it. So am I um, a little OCD? Probably, but in a really nice and potentially cute way. So don't hold it against me. Um, And use it in your favor, because I'm going to teach you all manner of little OCD tricks that are going to help you in your research as time goes on. This isn't just for me teaching you or telling you, though. Um, I'm a folklorist. I've collected stories. Um, I even majored in folklore in in college for a while. Um, And I've been doing that for a really long time. I've been doing that since I was 18. Um, As I said, I'm a genealogist. I'm a historian. And I was for a a brief while, I was a lawyer as well. So I've done a lot of different things. They all uh, lead into research. Um, This podcast is for everybody. Uh, There are going to be things that are specifically helpful and geared toward Mormons. And for the rest of y'all, hang on, enjoy the ride. If it doesn't quite pertain to you, that's okay. Stick with us. We'll come back to you. But basically, there's one thing that I can teach you that other people don't necessarily talk about, and that is the way that family search and ancestry can be used together. Because as magical Mormons, we have something that other people don't have. We have a little keyhole that allows us to slip. Research on a person, all the citations for all the documents that we attach to them in Ancestry, slip it through and attach it to that person on the other side in Family Search and vice versa. And considering Ancestry has a much larger pool of documents and records available, that's a really great thing. But by the same token, there are records and there are. Um, resources available in FamilySearch that are not available in Ancestry. And so what we get to do is use the best of both worlds, um, combine these two platforms together, and do work that we would not be able to do if we didn't have access to both of these sites with that connection. So that's really important. So I'm definitely going to be teaching some things about that. Um, but, But this is definitely a a resource that I want anybody to be able to use and to get something out of. So magical Mormons, you'll have your stuff, regular non-Mormon researchers, you'll have your stuff too. If you ever have a question, you can always email it to me. Um, you know, I do believe people will be emailing me things telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about. That's fine too. We can always talk about that as well. Um, so what do I do? I do my own research. I've researched my own tree, as I said, for a very long time. I teach um, in my ward, in my church. Second hour, we have three hours worth of meetings, and second hour I teach ancestry and family search to students who come in. Whoever wants to come in during that second hour, um, instead of going to Sunday school, they can come in and work with me and work with my coworker Heidi. She's awesome, and um, I also teach individually. Um, Outside of church, I go to people's homes, I am the fuller brush woman of ancestry, the fuller brush woman of family search. I am a rolling traveling genealogical mess and that is a lot of fun. I also do what I call reparational genealogy. And that is uh, because I am knowledgeable in this field, because I am fairly deft with the platforms that are available. I have a membership with newspapers.com. I have a membership with binverified.com, which is kind of an enhanced white pages. I can find living people and I can go backwards. And I'm fairly familiar with what's called the brick wall, which is the 1870 census. And the fact that for most African-Americans, they're descended of people who were enslaved. And they don't have the ability to trace themselves before 1870. Because for those of you who don't know that, and there may be people listening who don't know this, the 1860 census was taken before the Civil War. Uh, The Civil War started in 1861. And that means that the 1860 census also included, included what was called the slave schedule. Slaves were noted by gender and by age. And that's it. They didn't have names. So enslaved persons were not considered human beings. They were chattel, they were property. And as a result, anybody who is trying to trace their ancestry, who is descended of enslaved persons, they hit a brick wall at the 1870. The 1870 census is, for a lot of people, the first census in which their ancestors were listed by first and last name. The first one. I can go back to like the 900s. In some of my lines, I can go back to the 400s. It's crazy. But if you're African-American, mm, that's not so true. It's uh, it's hard. There is a, a white hierarchy in the work that we do. And so what I seek to do, because I know how to do this stuff, and because, frankly, I have slaveholding ancestry on both sides of my family, more on my dad's side than on my mom's, but both sides held slaves. Um. I think that it's my responsibility to help people take back their names. I can't do the other kinds of reparational work that people would like to do. You know, I mean, I don't have money. I really don't. (laughs) I don't make a lot of money. Um, And I can't give people educations um, like college educations and things like that. But I can help them to find their family. And I think that that's really important. And I think that all of us who know anything about what we're doing, we have a responsibility, a moral one, a political one, whatever you want to call it. We have a responsibility to help people who need our help. Some of that reparational work is regardless of enslavement and simply is for people who've been adopted. Because people who are adopted, depending on the state that they were born in, their, their records are sealed and they can't find out the, pro- the proper names of, of their parents. And that's really a nightmare for a lot of people. I know that that's true in New York State. It's a battle that we fight here in New York State. And um, and the governor just did something really smart in signing off uh, saying, no, we're not going to restrict further um, any information about parents for adopted children, and we're not going to further safeguard the anonymity of parents of adopted children. And I think that's great because I think that children um, who are adopted really deserve to be able to find out things about like, you know genetic health issues and stuff like that. So I do what I can to help people uh, with their work. um, And I do that for free. And that's probably why I don't make a lot of money. (laughs) Because most of my clients are in fact, uh, my research clients are in fact, um, reparational clients. So that's what I do. Um, How do I do it? As I said, I use Ancestry Family Search, I use papers and documents, just like everybody else does. I go to libraries and um, I go to archives and, you know, um, clerk's offices and things like that. Um, I use um, logic above all. And that's probably a lot of what I'm going to be teaching um, in these uh, podcasts is how to think about stuff. We have to think about this Work And what each of the records are that are available to us, like um, what is it that a Social Security death record um, gives us? What's the information in there that's good? What's in the, the information in there that's not so good? Um, and we have to think critically about the various kinds of information that are there. Um, for us uh, in birth, marriage, divorce, and death records or what I call the BMDDs. Um, that's the fundamentals and then the other stuff whether or not to give any credence whatsoever to somebody else's tree um, and really how to do strict, pure, clean documentary research. But the real why, not just to be self-righteous and to tell the world what to do, but the real why of what I do, and why I do it. Uh, The following story will tell you why. Every now and then I get an impulse and I call it kind of a a kick in the solar plexus from the spirit. Other people would call it maybe um, intuition um, or maybe they would just call it an impulse. I don't know. But being Mormon, using the uh, terminology that I do, I believe that that is the spirit telling me, okay, so I've got to do this thing. And it just came to me This one day, having already done all of the research and played out all of the hints and ancestry and found absolutely everything in terms of birth and marriage and divorce and death dates and all the children for this one guy and all of his descendants, I just got this message and it said, look this guy up. And I got the message like a couple of times and I was like, well, what's that all about? I mean, why should I be looking into this guy? And, um what I decided to do was follow it. And that's usually what I do. So I followed it. His name is John Horace Warren, and he's my second great-grandfather. And so I decided I was going to look into John Horace and see what his story was. And um, I already had, as I say, his wife, my second great-grandmother, and all of their children, including my great-grandmother. And I would never really heard any stories about this family because my grandma died in 1985. Um, and I didn't really talk to her very much about her family and her mother died when she had only been married a year in 1932. So there really weren't that many stories about this family. Um, all the stories were more recent. So I started looking into, uh, our buddy, um, John Horace Warren. And when I did, um, I just started looking sort of through the card catalog and what I found really shocked me. In Illinois, the long form of the marriage certificate shows the name of the father of the groom and the maiden name, the full maiden name of the mother of the groom and then the groom. And then the same thing for the bride, the father of the bride, the full maiden mother's name of the bride, and then the bride. So it's pretty easy when you're doing the work and you're really paying attention to what you're doing to actually find people, you know, the right people um, because you're looking at not only the generation of who's getting married, but you're also looking at their parents' names. So I was looking and, you know, I, I really didn't think I was going to find anything, but I found this marriage certificate information, this long form, and it was for John Horace Warren and a woman who's not my second great grandmother. And I was like, well, that's weird. And I thought, well, you know, maybe using logic, applying common straightforward thinking, well, maybe my second great grandmother predeceased my second great grandfather. And so, okay, I'll go and I'll look. And, um, she didn't. (laughs) So I was like, okay, so let's look at the whole record anyway. And I looked and it was John Horace Warren with my third great grandparents as his parents. So this is the right guy, but he's got another wife and he's already been married for 15 years. And he's having babies with my second grade grandmother. Basically he was a bigamist and no friends. He was not a Mormon. He was just a bigamist and it freaked me out. And I haven't quite figured out whether or not this was known among these two families, but I can tell you that John Horace Warren was on two different editions of the 1920 census, one in Florida And no, actually this, at this point, it would have been one in Illinois and one in Iowa. And then in 1930, he was in two different censuses because the Illinois family moved to Florida. So he was on one in Florida and the Iowa family moved to California. So he was on one in California. 1930, we're talking about pre-jet flight. I don't know what he did. But I do know how he explained it. And this is when it gets interesting. And this is when you go from paper to people. He had a business as a smith in Iowa. And that meant that he had to travel around to shoe horses and stuff, right? So he had to show up at, people, at people's farms and fix all of their like metal stuff. I don't know. I'm not a smith. I don't know what that is. but So that's what he was doing. So I guess he had a road trip. And I guess he would periodically say to my second great grandmother, okay, I've got some customers and so I'm going to go out and I'm going to work for a while and I'll see you in a month. And she would be like, okay, see you later. And then he would leave. But I think maybe in addition to that work or maybe instead of that work, I'm not really sure how he earned money, he would hop on a train or ride in a carriage or something. And he would go from Red Oak, Iowa back to Richland, Illinois. And one of the trips that he made, I guess, when he was visiting his brothers and sisters who still lived in that Richland, Illinois area, uh, he met a woman and he liked her and he liked her well enough to marry her. So he married her. And then, he got involved in a general store and he owned a general store in Illinois. And when you owned a general store right before and right after the turn of the century, you had to go out, you know, to find the the people who were the wholesalers and who you would buy stuff from and then turn around and sell it in your store. Right? So that meant he had to go on buying trips. So I guess he would go out on buying trips and he would say, well, I'm going out on a buying trip and I'll see you in a month or two. And, His wife in Illinois would say, okay, hun, see you later. And um, then he would go back to Iowa. And he did this for like a long time because in 1892, I believe it is, yeah, 1892, he had two daughters born, one by each of the wives. So dude was a busy guy, okay? And this is what was happening. This family, I can't tell you how uptight, tea-drinking, bread-baking Midwestern this family was. And my grandmother was, bless her heart. She was wonderful, but she was so kind of like Victorian and Edwardian, laced up, no opinions, my husband is right about everything. And this was her grandfather, and he had two wives. And it made me see that whole family completely differently. And it made me wonder about a lot of stuff. And it turns out that while they were still married, because he predeceased both of his wives um, in the middle of their marriage or at the end of their marriage, I guess, at the end of his life, um, his first wife, the legitimate wife was living with one of her sons in California and he is not listed. It's in a phone directory. And, and the father is not listed. Dad's busy living down in Florida And he's on that directory. He spent the better part of his life going back and forth between these two households. And it makes me wonder when his wife was living with their son, did she know? Because she was living with her son. She wasn't living by herself, waiting for him to come home. Really makes me wonder. Family stories get buried. And that's fascinating to me. And the way that we can honor our ancestors and bring them to life is to do this work. And that's the goal, to bring them from paper to people. So that's what we're going to be talking about as time goes on. So I just want to let you know that I'm out there and I'm available in a lot of places. You can find me at ancestors-alive.com. That's my blog and my website. You can find me on Facebook at Ancestors Alive Genealogy, on Twitter at Ancestors Alive. And even on Instagram at Ancestors Alive Genealogy. If you want to send me an email, you can send it to ancestors alive Genealogy at gmail.com. I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. Um, and I would certainly love to base episodes around questions that people ask me. Next time, I don't know what we're going to talk about. I have no clue. Maybe we'll talk about social security records. I'm not really sure. I haven't decided. I'm going to see what whim hits me and then I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to let the spirit guide me just the same way that I do in my work. So thanks a lot for listening. Enjoy the rest of your workout or whatever it is that you're doing right now. Have a great day. And we will talk again soon. But in all of your work, remember to expect surprises.